Hey, Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Welcome into another episode of the Damn Podcast. I'm your host, Angie Machado, and with me, as always, is our Beaver Blitz beat writer, Carter Baines, down in Corvallis. We have a great show for you, a short show for you today. Um, just starting to preview it for you. We'll start with a Utah talk, uh, talk about what we saw. I want to talk a little bit about Jake Luton and his mechanics. It's been a good discussion that uh, I had with a, a quarterback coach about his mechanics. We talked about it in the lodge at Beaver Blitz, but I want to I want to bring it out to the podcast listeners I want to talk a little bit, too, about the $175 million stadium expansion that was announced the other day. We'll look at Cal. And then Carter was also able to take in the Oregon State Men's Basketball Media Day yesterday, see the team practice, and get to talk with head coach Wayne Tinkle as well as some of the players and see some of those new freshmen. And then we'll start with the and go with the quick hits, and we'll be out the door for you. So, Carter, how are you? I'm good. About as good as I can be after a 45-point loss, but... Yeah, no. yeah, that was rough. Let's let's just jump right into Utah. What did you see that, you know, now that we're, you know, five days out from that game? Yeah, I think it was just a testament to the talent that Utah has on their roster. I think Oregon State was outmatched in all three phases of the game, and it showed on the scoreboard. Um, and I think it says a lot more about where Utah is as a program compared to Oregon State. Um, you know, we, we've said that Oregon State's made so much progress with the talent they brought in and while that's true, there is still certainly a talent gap between Oregon State and some of the top uh, performers here in the Pac-12. Um, you know, but but give credit to Utah because what they've built there, Coach Whittingham has has put together a pretty incredible roster, and I think it's going to be a pretty special season for them. Yeah, I mean their defense was unreal, and what they have this year, you know, they're usually a strong defensive team, but they really have a solid offense too, and uh, I like what we saw from them. So, um, you know, one thing that I noticed, too, is, you know, Oregon State's margin for error is so razor thin right now as they're in this rebuild. And you and I both noticed right before the game, we were down on the sideline and noticed that Avery Roberts was not suited up. Doug Dalmalau was not suited up. So there's and then Jamar Jefferson. So you're out three of, you know, two inside linebackers and one of your top running backs yet again. Um, you know, Oregon State, I don't think, has that depth to weather some of those those, you know, injuries that other teams might have yeah i mean when you look at the linebacker position we we've said um all season long it's by far the most it's by far the deepest position on the roster and so if there's a position where you can maybe afford to have a few injuries it would be uh at linebacker but you know over the course of the season they've lost so many guys at that position that it's becoming just as thin as the other groups so yeah, like you said, you know, there's just not enough depth across the board for Oregon State to um, to afford to lose some of their top players like Roberts and Jefferson. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those those two. And, you know, I, I still wonder a little bit about the health of John McCartan. I mean, he sat out a couple games this earlier this season. So, you know, with an ankle. I will say I... Um, it, it was good to get Kyrie Fisher on the field, though. Uh, he had yeah, three, yeah. three tackles and kind of bolsters that linebacker group transfer from Arkansas. So. A little SEC pedigree there for uh, for Fisher. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree completely because you know he transferred, had to sit the first three games, and then was dealing with some injuries. So um, that you know 
was something that we hadn't seen. So that was that was positive. I mean, you think the future, the future looks bright for Oregon State. Yesterday, we found out that Jordan Whitley got his sixth year, so he'll be back for, for the 2020 season on the defensive line. And then think about that linebacker group. You have Hamilton, Avery, Kyrie, um, gosh, John McCartan, Matthew Tago, and then you get Anjay back and Addison Gums back. That's, yeah, I mean, that's some crazy, crazy depth there. The only player that you know they'll realistically expect to lose this offseason is Shamar Smith because he's a senior. But yeah. outside of that, I, I really expect everybody to be back next year. And it, I mean, the linebackers this year are already one of the top groups in the conference, arguably. And I think next year they could maybe take that step and be the best linebacker unit in the Pac-12. Yeah, I agree. And secondary still needs work, but I think we're seeing the young guys really step up and they're taking their lumps. I mean, it reminds me back in the day when, you know, Keenan Lewis was a true freshman and I remember people frustrated because he was getting beat. We're seeing that some with Alex Austin and Akili Arnold and Jojo Forrest. They're getting beat sometimes, but um, you know, this play and this experience will only make them better as they get up to speed with PAC 12, with PAC 12 games. Let's talk a little bit of Jake Luton because after coming off that UCLA win, where he had huge numbers, huge performance. He he kind of got back in his zone and and wasn't as productive as Beaver fans would have hoped. So it made me think, and I, I've been talking to some quarterback people. I mean, Jake is, I, I think any quarterback that's struggling becomes a really polarizing figure when it comes to fans because who's the most popular player on a team when they're struggling? It's it's the second string quarterback becomes the you know, the savior. So I, I reached out to some quarterback coaches, that guys that work with quarterbacks and their evaluation with Jake. And I put this in the lodge, Carter. I, I know you know where I'm going with this, but it was interesting. It made me stop and look. So my husband, Eric sits by us in the press box too. And I've heard him say several times that that Luton looks like the shortest six, seven quarterback he's ever seen with balls getting knocked down. And so these are the, the things that I got back from the, this coach. First of all, he said, Jake is money when he's going sideline routes, when he's able to throw and set his feet and, you know, set that base, he's has a cannon for an arm where he struggles is over the middle or when he's throwing across his body and he doesn't, he has lazy feet. They're not quick feet and he's not able to set his feet. And so he's been able to rely on his rocket arm and that's where he starts siding, side arming it. So instead of throwing it, what I was told between, you want to throw between like, if you're looking at a clock, your arm up at between 1230 and 130, he's throwing it between 230 and three. So a real sidearm action, which is then really projecting when you're down that low, it's, it's the equivalent of throwing like as, as a six, one, six, two quarterback. Interesting, interesting assessment. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, what stands out to me there is he, you mentioned he, uh, he excels more on the sideline routes. And I, I think we see that game in and game out when you know he's thrown out routes and you know, these, these short balls underneath check downs and stuff. And then every deep ball he throws is down the sideline. Um, yeah. The, the only time he, I mean, he's only thrown one interception this year, but throughout his career career, the only time we really see him throw interceptions is when he tries to go over the middle. That's also when he overthrows guys. Um, when receivers have to go to the ground to make catches on balls that might not be particularly on target. Um, so I, I think it's interesting to take a look at this from a mechanic standpoint, because it certainly describes or, um, kind of points to a, a reasoning for those struggles over the middle. Yeah. So I, I'm going to watch that. That's something to watch for Beaver fans over the next few games. Just kind of watch for what he's doing. 
um, you know, we kind of at Beaver Blitz, we do a lot of analysis pieces. We break down the offensive line. We we talk about positions. So I just wanted to add that um, to our discussion, just because I think it makes everybody a smarter fan, and it's not always just making bad decisions. It's mechanical, and so when you get into a game situation, you can work on mechanics all you want during spring camp, fall camp, whatever. But in a live game situation, you're going to go back to what's comfortable and what you know. So um, if he's had lazy feet his whole career and just relied on that strong arm, which he's been able to do things with all the way through, when the when the competition and the defense gets faster and stronger and, and are able to cover, that's where things kind of can go downhill. So anyway, something to look at um, as, as we go forward into the season, because we're only six games in, so six more to go. I also want to mention uh, before we before we move on there. I, I want to mention it, this isn't just a, a Luton thing, and at the same time, it's also not a negative. It's just no, you it's, know, not, it's just the it's, way it is. Yeah, it, yeah, that's that's just you know the way that he throws the ball, and you know sometimes it works for him, and sometimes there's there's disadvantages to it, and you know that goes for any throwing style. But then uh, going back to last spring, first time that we saw Tristan Jebia on the field uh, when Shamaya and I were at practice taking in. Um, kind of those first few reps that that Tristan Jebby was taking, Shamaya pointed out that he also has uh, kind of a low release angle. And so um, w- one of the things that we were watching throughout camp was, can he get the ball over the, the opposing defensive line? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so th- that'll be something to look for going forward next year and, and in the future with Jebbia. Does he have some of the same um, issues and then some of the same strong points that Luton has? Yeah, it's it's one of those things too. It, I'll never forget watching NFL draft coverage for Aaron Rodgers, and they were really breaking down his mechanics at the time and how solid he was about how where he has the ball placed while he's going through his progressions. It's right up by his ear, so he is right right ready to make that throw. And you and it's made me really watch what quarterbacks do. And and some of it's not not bad. It's just the way they do it. If they have a loopy loopy throwing motion or. If they they take more time, but watch the feet, watch getting, you know, and and it makes sense, right? I mean, any position, whether you're playing offensive line, defensive line, you want that solid base. I mean, it goes into any sport, really basketball, you're shooting, you want to have a a good base and start that foundation on the ground. So if your feet haven't caught up to, you know, where you're going to throw with your body and you don't have a solid base, that's what can cause you to be off target and, Lots of it's not just throwing the ball down the field. There's so much more that goes into it. So keep an eye on that, Beaver fans, and uh, we'll, we, maybe we can talk about it next week after after the uh, Cal game. But I want to change gears a little bit before we jump into Cal, because I think this is huge. And being someone that I, I was on the fundraising team that raised money for the Raising Research Project that opened up the east side of the stadium in 20, 2005, that west side of the stadium, and it's been talked about forever when are they going to get it done and this on wednesday yesterday i guess it was or tuesday oregon state released an rfp for that 175 million dollar west side stadium expansion carter what are your initial thoughts on that project it's a huge investment not only for the university but for the athletic department just to show that their commitment to football um and it comes at a time when there's been a lot of questions about the investment that, you know, the financial investment that um, the administration is putting towards sports and football in particular. And so to show this, uh, you know, this commitment to improving the facilities, we've seen steps taken towards facility improvement with uh, Valley Football Center and the Sports Performance Center right now. Um, but I mean, let's be honest, the west side of Reeser is an eyesore. And 
um, opposing teams actually probably hold it against Oregon State in the recruiting process. And so there's so many factors that go into this, not just from a fan experience standpoint, but from a recruiting standpoint, from um, you know the atmosphere of the stadium on game day. It's it's a huge investment, and it comes at the perfect time for Oregon State. Yeah, yeah. So things that I've seen since this was announced, and there's been fans that are talking, well, they can't fill the stadium. Why are they doing this? Um, well, first of all, this stadium isn't up to code. This is it doesn't have. It was opened in 1953. It's not up to the seismic capabilities for any kind of earthquake. Doesn't that make you feel good, Carter, when you're sitting up there for the press box? <laughs> Way at the top. Way Ugh. at the top. Yeah. Um, the the concourse isn't made. It wasn't up to current code for that many people. So, you know, there's not enough restrooms. There's not, it's not wide enough. There's not enough concession stands. And then what I've heard, and we might have some construction people out there that could correct me, but back in the day, I heard that Oregon State can't kind of go back and retrofit certain things because if they start retrofitting one thing or making changes to one thing, they're going to have to make the entire stadium up to code, to current, to current code. So that makes that part completely unfeasible. It's just going to be easier to tear down and rebuild. The reason it's taken so long is with the old with the old east side. That was if you guys some of you older people remember, that was a big berm of dirt with bleachers going down it. It was basically a student side that had no donations required. So, Oregon State was able to raise money on that to build from season ticket holders with the whole there was a seat um, licensing fee that went into that and then they were able they're able to pay the debt service based on that increase in donations. So you went from like a zero donation on that side to now what that side is bringing in or could bring in from a donation standpoint that helps pay that debt service down. They can't do that on the on the west side because of it's already a donor section. It's the whole that whole side is donor seats and you're not going to be able to raise the price that much to make a difference and make a dent. So what they plan to do with this and I think it's genius really is they're going to try to raise 100 to 120 million in private capital gifts. So this isn't going to take away from the scholarships or the coaches' salaries or any of that stuff that that fans are out there complaining that it should be going toward. This is all private capital gifts. They're going to put that in, and then this, they're going to partner with a third party to make it a, a something that is used year round. And I've heard lots of things banned around. I've heard that potentially making a brand new student health center attached to that. I've heard a conference type center to kind of replace and take the, the wear and tear off of the old LaSalle Stewart Center for the city of Corvallis and Oregon State. I've heard dorms. I've heard the brewing and fermentation sciences coming over there. I've heard so many different areas, but then those folks, would whoever takes over and helps build that, will also help with the debt service, whether that be through the rent or the paying for it. So it takes the pressure then off of the fans to pay for that via season tickets. That's kind of what's taken it so long. It's it's through the process now. I just think it's super exciting and it, it, it's long time coming. I, I'm just kind of, I'm at a loss because I see fans and they're kind of bitching about, well, why would we do this? So just know, like I said, I've heard there's a $50 million gift already earmarked for, for this project. And uh, the, the staff, both Coach Smith and Scott Barnes and Pat Casey and their wives have been meeting with big uh, boosters up in the Portland area and around the Northwest to drum up support for this. So um, don't think that your season tickets are going to go through the roof and don't think this is taking away from 
football coaches' salaries and, and all these other things that we've been talking about the past couple of weeks. So um, I just wanted to kind of clear clear the air on that. But um, it's so exciting in so many levels. So I'm, I'm glad Oregon State is getting this done. And man, Carter, I hope you get to go sit in the press box when it's done. Yeah, I, I think you hit all the points right there. You know, there, there has been a lot of uh, maybe discontent among Beaver Nation about this project, which it, it kind of surprises me considering how many people have been calling for it and for such a long time. But, um, you know, I think you addressed a lot of those issues there. Um, and yeah. Did I, I, did I kind of go off? It's kind of been my hot button for years. So, I mean, it's, it's well, something that's so important. Yeah, no, it's, it's crucial to the building of this program and, you know, the rebuilding process. This will go so far in, in helping Jonathan Smith build a winning culture here. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the timeline is really aggressive. They, they want it to be done by the 2023 season. And you think about that in terms of um, bringing in recruits, you know, the juniors in high school could potentially be playing in that stadium. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a huge piece for garnering the attention of recruits. And then, you know, the, the fan experience on game days will just be so much better. Um, you know, I, I, think it's, I think it's a really good deal for Oregon State that they're getting this done now. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's just, it, it's a finished product that shows commitment. Let's go ahead. I, we're kind of jumping around here, but I want to talk a little, actually, before we jump into Cal, another totally different sport here, but I just got word that Tyree Reed, a 2021 outfielder from Vallejo, California, the number one ranked prospect in California for the 2021 class and number five ranked overall baseball prospect in the 21 class has just committed to Oregon State Mitch Canham. Huge. That's a huge, huge announcement. So um, I kind of interrupted our normally scheduled programming for that um, big commitment. But that's a, that's a big one for a lot of the naysayers out there that have wondered how well Mitch Canham will commit or recruit to Oregon State. Yeah, big time get for Canham and his staff. You know, there's a lot of question marks when Nate Yeski left and, you know, some of those other pieces of the staff were let go for uh, th- this new this new staff coming in, but uh, you know, Coach Canham, he's he's a young guy, he's popular, and I, I think he I think he could be a really big time recruiter, and he's showing that early in his coaching career with this this big time recruit. Yeah, now the big thing is going to be keeping holding on to him with the MLB draft, but mm-hmm. obviously that's a that's a big feather in his cap. Okay, let's let's change gears into Cal because the Beavers leave tomorrow Friday to head down to Berkeley to take on Cal. Cal is another very strong defensive team, offense not even close to the same realm as Utah. Carter, I know you've broken down every aspect of both both teams. How do you see this going, and where do you think the what do you think the Beavs need to do to find success down in the Bay Area? Yeah, Cal's a really really interesting team to to kind of pick apart because you know as I was looking at their defensive numbers. You know, they get all of this praise for being such a good defensive team, and they are, don't get me wrong. But I, I look at their yardage stats, and they're really just near the middle of the country in terms of rushing and passing defense. And so, you know, I, I ask myself, well, how are they holding teams to, you know, seven points and a half or whatever you know, they're doing on a given week, shutting out Oregon in the first half? Um, you know, it's interesting, but they have the playmakers on that defense to go and make. Uh, force turnovers and and make those big tackles for loss, et cetera, that uh, could potentially limit Oregon State's offensive production. 
So, I mean, I know Weaver is kind of their big, their big guy, but I, I was talking with Jackson Moore from the bearterritory.net and he's really high in their secondary. You know, what, what is the strength of this defense? Yeah, well, you look at Ashton Davis, Cameron Bynum, Elijah Hicks, you know, their secondary is really loaded. Okay. Um, you compare them to Oregon State with, you know, Oregon State's secondary really struggles to um, get in the passing lanes, break up passes, intercept balls. That's the strength of the Cal defense is getting into passing lanes and really wreaking havoc in the passing game. So, um, you, you know, maybe that poses an opportunity for Oregon State to get something going on the ground. Um but yeah, I mean, it, it could be a, a long day for Oregon State's quarterbacks and receivers, especially with the receivers other than Hodgins really struggling to get separation. How about Oregon State's defense matchup with Cal's offense? I think this is a big time opportunity for Oregon State. And I know that sounds like coach speak, but it, it really is um, a chance for Oregon State's defense to kind of um, progress a little bit. You know, you look at... Um, Cal running out there with a backup quarterback and Modster with um, with Garbers out. And, you know, he's his numbers have been really subpar. He's completing less than 50 percent of his passes, more interceptions and touchdowns. So, you know, the young guys in Oregon State secondary, like you mentioned, Alex Austin, Akili Arnold, Jojo Forrest, um, you know, maybe this is an opportunity for them to to go out and make some plays and get some confidence. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously the defense isn't as strong as Utah, but you know, if you're at Oregon State, are you going to try to run the ball? I would, because yeah. you know, you, you know, you you might run into some issues trying to throw it. So you got to get some rhythm going, and um, if if you show that you can run the ball against their front seven, then the secondary has to respect that. And you know, they, you know, maybe they start not necessarily loading the box to stop the run, but they have to kind of ease off on uh, pass defense. Yeah, yeah. So. It's going to be interesting, and I, I hope it's a game that Oregon State can take kind of a step forward on defense and, and stop the run. What I want to see from Oregon State defense is not giving up those big third down plays. I mean, how many times have we seen Oregon State defense keep them or push them back and have a third and long only to give up a big play in a first down? So that's the key that I'm watching on defense is, is really seeing them make some stops and uh, getting off the field because we haven't seen a whole lot of that. And if they do that, a couple times even in a game, it's, it's going to mean huge, you know, you know, huge improvement in numbers. Yeah. And for what it's worth, California is only averaging uh, a 36.4% third down conversion rate, which, yeah, I mean, that's so about Oregon State's either going to like look good or they're going to just let them, you know, improve that number. Yeah, exactly. So. Let's talk a little bit of basketball. I know you were, you're a huge basketball fan. You are so excited. You played basketball in high school. You attended yesterday's practice media day session. You were kind of geeked up when you texted me yesterday. Oh, Was I'm it, so excited. I'm so excited. Tell me for about this year. the practice. Yeah. Tell me about what you saw those newcomers, the new freshmen. Um, what did you see? Yeah. So I, I was only able to make it to the last about 20 minutes or so of practice. Um, and you know they they had gotten through all their drills and everything, and they were starting their scrimmage. Um, and and they mixed up the groups a little bit, so I didn't you know get a huge read on maybe personnel wise who's um, kind of the front runners to get starting spots or um, key reserves or whatnot. But I was really impressed with the freshmen, Jared Lucas, Johnny Hunt, uh, Julian Franklin, and then De'Aaron Tucker. Um, 
you know, who, who maybe didn't get a whole lot of attention in the recruiting process. Um, Coach Tinkle even pointed to him as, as a guy who's really been impressive. So, yeah, I mean, the freshmen that are coming in are going to be big-time players. And honestly, I think one, two, maybe even three of them could be real stars in this league at some point in their careers. And that only bolsters the depth that Oregon State has on their roster this year, which you know, I think, and, and Coach Tinkle said, this could be the deepest, most talented team they've had in their time in Corvallis. So you're excited. I mean, are, are you thinking that this team, you know, compete for Pac-12 with the best yeah. in Pac-12? Yeah. And, you know, they, the media or coaches or whoever it was picked them at, at uh, the Pac-12 media days to finish in the bottom half of the conference. Yeah, seventh. And, and I look at that and I say, there's no way. This is yeah. the best team Oregon State has had under Coach Tinkle, in my opinion. And when you compare it to how they competed in the conference last year, I don't think there's any reason to believe that they're outside of the top five in the conference. And I could see them pushing for uh, the Pac-12 title. And, and Coach Tinkle, what did he have to say? I mean, is he optimistic? What, you know, what stood out to you in his talk to the media? Yep, he's super high on the freshmen. Um, okay. He also pointed to some improvement with Kyler Kelly, his athleticism. Um, he mentioned he's that he tall, looks like... By the way. I'm sorry, but he walked right past us down on the sideline mm-hmm. at Risa the other day. <laughs> He's tall. I, I, is he seven foot, six ten, six eleven, something yeah, like that? Yeah, so, some somewhere in that range. I mean, there's a reason he's yeah. such an elite shot blocker. Sorry, that was he's... my hot take. I know that was stupid, but yeah, that's my hot take for the day. <laughs> well, not not only is he tall, but he's super long. He's got that super wide wingspan, so he creates yeah. some serious yeah. problems down in the post. But um, yeah, Tinkle mentioned that. You know, he's really improved his athleticism, gotten a little stronger. And um, yeah, I, I saw that on one play. He he grabbed an offensive rebound, put it right back in. And that's something that we didn't see a whole lot of him um, last year was in, in the rebounding game, which is also another thing that, that Tinkle pointed to that needs to be addressed this year is rebounding. Because we know how much it cost Oregon State last year. Yeah. Oh, completely. And then you talked a little bit about some running after practice. What What went on there? Yeah, there was a little disciplinary conditioning going on at the end of practice. Um, I was really impressed with with Coach Tinkle and um, kind of the uh, the discipline that he's instilling in this team. Where you know he mentioned he he wasn't explicit about the details of this situation per se, but you know maybe there was some discontent about who was on which team in the scrimmage, and essentially he you know he told the players that will not be tolerated. Um, the running, I'm assuming, was completely disciplinary and not just, you know, for conditioning purposes. But um, another thing that, that really stood out to me in, in that whole process was Johnny Hunt. And I mentioned this in the lodge, um, consistently the first player to finish his sprints. Not only that, he was, he was the loudest in uh, cheering on his teammates, clapping, yelling, you know, encouraging them to, uh, to push through their exhaustion and whatnot. So to see a freshman take that kind of leadership um, in, in a disciplinary situation, I, I thought was really impressive. That, that's good. And, you know, this is Tinkle needs, Tinkle, Tinkle needs this. So he also had a, a big recruit on campus this past weekend in local Clackamas uh, 2021 prospect, Ben Gregg. So we have updates on him coming in the lodge and um, it's just been a, a big, big week for men's basketball coverage. So men and women are both men have a, exhibition this next week right next wednesday yep they're taking on carroll college on i don't have the date pulled up but i believe it is the 23rd next wednesday okay yeah next wednesday and will you be there i'm planning on it yeah 
Okay. Awesome. 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 Well, you know what? You know what time it is. We're not going to do any damn questions today because we wanted to kind of keep this one short. But we're going to do some quick hits. Last week, you want to know how good, how well you did? After Let's hear some fifty percenters here, Carter, you were up to seventy percent this week. Seven out of ten. Yeah, that's, that that's more in that line with rough. what I want. But I mean, seriously, when you, I mean, you had Avery Roberts as going to be your leading tackler, and he did, he sat out. So mm-hmm. you know, there seems to be this curse where I pick somebody for a for one of the categories, and then they and show then they up with out. a magical injury. I know, I know. It's that's what happens when we're not allowed to watch practice. Okay, exactly. so let's just go. You know the questions. Is Luton going to throw for over 300 yards against Cal? No. Leading rusher? Artavis Pierce. Leading receiver? Hodgins. It's not even fun anymore. That's like an easy one. They're too predictable. Uh, leading, I know, it's too predictable. Leading scorer? Pierce. Takeaways, over or under two for the Oregon State defense? Uh, that's an interesting one, um, just because of you know the, the turnover turnover issue Cal's had at times. But you know Oregon State hasn't really shown that they can force them yet. So I'll, I'll take the under there. Under yeah, Oregon State is what two? They have two interceptions and three fumble recoveries on the year. That's it. Um, not sacks, a whole lot. I know, not a lot. Sacks over or under two for the defense? That's another tough one. Uh, I'll, I'll go over. Leading tackler. Shamar Avery Smith. Roberts is expected to be back, but you're going to go with Smith? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's shown a, a, a really nice ability to not only get into the backfield, but um, like Roberts, he's kind of in on every play uh, downfield yeah. as well. Yeah, he's, he's constantly up at the top. Okay, this is the one I'm confused on because we have a kicking competition. Last week, Shukair was not over... 50% because he missed his one field goal and did not kick the extra point later in the game. Let's just go Shukair or kicker because it may be Everett Hayes this week. Will they be over or under or over 50% or under 50% over under? Yeah, you're right. I don't really know where to go with this one. I know. I, I don't know, know who's going to be back there, but um I don't know. I guess based off of what we saw last week, I'll I'll take the under here just because I think there's so much so much question about who's going to be back there. Who's going to be back there? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's where I was confused when I was kind of like, ooh, when we looked at this ahead. Okay, so beef score over thirty five, over under thirty five. Under, under, under. And will Cal rush for, or will the Beaver defense hold Cal to under two hundred yards rushing? Yeah, I think they will. Okay. There you have it. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Damn Podcast. Carter and I will be back next week. We'll take another batch of your questions next week. And, uh, gosh, we're going into bye. So it'll be a fun time to kind of go through midterm grades and, and talk just about where this team is and where we expect them to go. Have a great weekend. 